Um, so, with today's shop, we start a new Masechet, and we begin Ta'anit, um, and now you can hold on to the one volume you have. Well, I, I don't know if you have a hard but if you have a standard shot, we're going to be going through all of the remaining small Masechets that are bundled in this one volume, Ta'anit, Megillah, Morikatan, and Chagiga. So we'll be doing now, we already sort of start with Rosh Hashanah, but about a Masechet a month, um, for four more months, till we finish, um, till we finish um, Moed. Um, and Ta'anit, um, uh, the title indicates, obviously, focuses on the issues of fasting. Um, and um, But besides the fasting, which should be, first of all, when we say fast, our initial thoughts are about what I would call the historical fast. The fast to commemorate, you know, tragedies in the past on particular dates. These are actually ones that are reflected, you know, um, by, you know, in the, um, when, when, when the people come back after, you know, um, at, you know, after the exile, they say, should we continue to fast like we've been fasting? Should we continue to fast as we've been fasting before? And the Navi says back to them, you know, that they will be, these days will be with the solo, with Simcha, with the rebuilding of a temple. These things that have been fast days will return into days of joy and so on. We actually discuss some of that in Rosh Hashanah when we discuss the issue of Megillah Ta'anit. So while on the one hand those are, that, that is something that is, um, that is, you know, very much indicated in our primary, in our mindset when we think about fast days um, and indicated already like in the Nevi'im, you know, as the first record that there were very particular dates that they would fast. Mm-hmm. Um, nevertheless, that's of a very secondary concern to this Masechet. Um, and this Masechet really is the issue is resp- fasting as a response to uh, tragedy or impending tragedy specifically around the issue of the lack and absence of rain. Um, and um, as such, by the way, if one looks at the uh, tefillah of Shlomo when he's building the Beit HaMikdash and he talks about why people will turn to God, one of the central things that he says in his tefillah is if there is no rain and they will direct their prayers to you in this place. Or if he says, or if there's a tragedy and there is like, you know, and there is locusts and there is famine and there is this, they will direct their prayers to you in this place. You know, and this would be the common reason why people would pray to God, because it's not raining and you're concerned that the whole, all the crops are going to, you know, uh, go to, you know, go to waste and there'll be famine in the year. There's some other tragedy. If you're living in an agricultural society, certainly people have the same types of concerns we have about illness and so on. But the more sort of like recurring reason why you are, your life feels precarious and you're not certain about the future and, you know, and you turn to God is because of the things that are happening with the agriculture, you know, infest stations and, and, you know, and so on, and there would also be wild animals at that time, but also, you know, the rain is the regular type of a thing, uh, is the regular reason that you turn to God, and as such, you know, it's important to think about this Masechet, when we think about it, not just as about fasting, but to think about it almost in a counterpart, in a way you'll see, we'll sort of see this on the first stop, to like Masechet Rachot. Masechet Rachot is like six liturgies. Right? So, you know, you have the Shema, you have the Shemona Esrei. It's not responding to any particular event that occurred. While to some degree, the Shemona Esrei is three times a day because, you know, according to the Rishalmi and other, you know, another story, whatever, you know, other hints that it's basically about the different places in which the sun is, the sun rises, it evokes a certain type of a feeling. You know, the sun is setting, it evokes a different, night evokes a different type of a feeling. But nevertheless, those are natural rhythms of the day, you know, even if they're somehow responding to a different type of an emotion 
emotional state during, you know, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening, you know, but it's basically a fixed type of a liturgy. To the degree in Brachot you get a type of a liturgy or a type of a religious response to more uh, periodic occurrences or to more sort of immediate things that are occurring, you know, and responding to the change of situations, you get in the sort of in the Birchot HaShevach. So like you see the uh, thunder and the lightning, you see the trees blossoming, or just something good happens and you say Shechianu, and something bad happens and you say Baruch Dayan HaEmet. That you get at the very end of Brachot. Here, this may be in some way can be seen as picking up that theme, or I would more say contrasting the basic liturgy, the fixed liturgy, and this is the basic point about, you know, a religious response to what's occurring in a person's life. Now, obviously, the central thing here is about the rain and tragedy. It's about bad things, not good things, but it's talked about, you know, in that way, this Mesechet is very much about, you know, it's very sort of, uh, I would say, the Mesechet that's most focused on this type of a, um, um, what it means to sort of see God in the world or see God, see, you know, see sort of the absence of God or God punishing or, you know, and, and sort of the, the need to call out to God to respond to that and to try to pray for God's kindness or bring or pray for God's more greater presence in the world. And this, so this is really a Masechet that deals a lot with the religious uh, response to one's circumstances and to a very type of a religious engagement with the world. I would say more than any other Masechet, which much more, I mean, obviously our entire, you know, life is religious, but it's much more tends to be about ritual and structure and, you know, fixed. And this also becomes fixed but it nevertheless is very much about a response to seeing God's presence or feeling God's presence or absence in the world and how one responds. And in that way, you know, I think it's very important to think about what the basic theme of this Masechet is and not to just automatically think always about how you do fast days. I mean, the fast is one profound response and I think it is worth thinking about the idea about right, why is it called Masechet Ta'anit? Ta'anit is not mentioned in the first Mishnah. The first Mishnah is going to mention aspects of the davening and one of the responses of course when there's no rain during the fast day is a whole separate special set of prayers right so Tzilot also changed during the fast day but nevertheless it's the prayers you say during the fast day and the primary way the nature of the day changes is that the day becomes a fast day but it does also do something when we think about that as that dominates what's the religious response to absence of rain or to you know infestation or whatever you fast you know, I supposed to say, well, there's a couple things you do. You fast, you pray, you do tshuva, right? So the dominant theme here becomes fasting and that also shapes a particular perception. But again, I, it's important, I think, to start by just saying this is not just like, how do we do various ta'aniyot? You know, it fundamentally starts with this issue about um, a religious engagement in the world, you know, in a sense of a religious response to to uh, things that are happening to us. Yeah, you had a question. Just, um, I couldn't... I can understand a lot of responses to tragedy. Why is a religious response to tragedy fasting? Fasting is self-denial. Right. Thing. What's the connection between... Right, so that is an excellent question. And again, if you go back to, like I said, like the prayer by Shlomo, um, where, he, where he dedicates the Beit HaMikdash, you know, there he talks about the primary reason people will pray will be because of these terrible things, and they'll direct their prayers, right? So in the sense, you have like prayer by itself, although there again, it was much more shevach than bad things. You know, to the degree it was bad, it was Baruch Dayan HaMet, which is about the past, not about the praying for the future. You know, so there you had it in Brachot. So again, that's exactly 
the point I wanted to be thinking about, that, you know, framing it the way I did it raises the question. So if that's what this is about, why is Ta'anit the dominant theme? And what is the religious value of Ta'anit? So uh, keep that question in mind. That's the question I want us to be reflecting on as we go through the Masekha. Okay, was there another question? No? Okay, so let's take a look. Um, let me here, maybe just take one more second and just read the uh, Psukim by Shlomo that I've been referring to. I can find them quickly. And then just to, just to give you a sense how this is a theme that plays out. This huge chapter. I know. Which parak is it? you remember? Mlachim Bet 8? Yeah. Thank you. No, Mlachim Bet is too late. Mlachim Aleph? 8, I'm sorry. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. So listen to this. Okay, here's what Shlomo says why people will pray us. He's dedicating the day to Mikdash. He says... Right? You'll always be hearing the prayers. Now, what are they going to pray? Okay, so first of all, somebody gets a curse, so you're going to be responsive to that. Then, right after that, so of those things it's basically tragedy Pray, rain, lack of rain is one of them but all the other types of things that could happen Rav, Shidafon, Chasiro, right infestation, famine so that is all about prayer what in our mish, in our Mesechet what that becomes is the basis for Ta'aniyot yes just to say that the, the, the refrain in what you read was yes. the Salakta the Salakta so tragedy is being conceptualized biblically as the punishment for some type of human shortcoming right. or think sin so there's a requirement for uh, forgiveness for, as it were so thank so you so you still can ask that question but now fasting gets tied into that I thank you very much that's an excellent point and that's also a theme that we're going to see right it's not just like a prayer for compassion like we need you please give it to us but a sense that if this is happening it's because of sin and then the issue of fasting becomes is to connect you know if in our mind would connect to is that related to Yom Kippur to what degree is fasting something of a way of you know of not e- e- either tshuva or a way of look we're punishing ourselves and therefore we've been suffered so therefore we should be forgiven but I think Dove makes the excellent point that yes it's prayer but also when there's, pra- when there's a sense of you know of tragedy or bad things there's a sense of sin and a need to be forgiven and that's also something we have to think about as we go through this Masechah yes. agricultural productivity specifically mentioned in the Shema as being a function of our action Excellent. And that we're going to see on the first stop. So that's enough for Hakdama. But again, these are really important themes to be thinking about that we don't just need to go into the mindset of fasting. Okay, so let's take a look at the first Mishnah. Me'ematai opens the same way Brachot opens. Me'ematai maskin vurat gishamim. When do you start mentioning the power of the rain? Mashi Farukh Murida Gershem. 
So Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Miyom Tevarish and Shachag, starting on the first day of Sukkot, the simple sense of Chag, Chag by itself being Sukkot, because that's a period of rain. As we know, as we'll see, you wave Lulav and Esrog, you uh, do the Nisu Chamayim. Rabbi Yoshua Omer, Miyom Tevarish and Shachag, no, only on the last day of Sukkot. Now that would sound like it means the seventh of Sukkot, it's possible it means after the last day, starting after Sukkot is over, on Shemini Yatzeret. Since the rain is really only a sign of curse on the Chag, why does he say that? Either be, presumably because of the Mishnah in Sukkot, which says that if you if it rains on Sukkot, it is um, it is uh, it's like a person is coming to serve the water to his master, and the master takes the jug of water and throws it on, on the servant. So we're trying to sit in the Sukkah and do a mitzvah, and God is driving us out of the Sukkah with the rain. So it is a siman of displeasure um, if it happens if rain happens on Sukkot of God's displeasure with us. Lama who must hear? Why would you mention? My if you don't want you don't want it to rain yet on Sukkot so I'm a little Rebbe Eliezer said back I didn't say to start asking you don't start saying you don't start requesting from God that it should rain you only um, you mention that God brings the rain you're, you're, you're mentioning the powers of God but you're not it's not a specific request that it begin now so, you cause the wind to blow and the rain to fall in its right time. By the way, this whole thing of Mashiv Haruach, you know, we, 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 we sort of gloss over that. I was reading something last night about how that this is very true in Eretz Yisrael, that before these serious rains come, you proceeded with very heavy winds. I don't know. But anyway, something to look into. So, Amar Lo, so he said, look, I'm not asking for it to come now, I'm just mentioning it. So, Amar Lo, so Rabbi Yoshua said back to him, in Cain, is that true so so you should mention it the whole year why do you only mention it now obviously you're mentioning it now because you want it now but if it's, you're saying that because you want it now then you shouldn't say it till after Sukkot is over okay we don't have a response we'll see a response in the Gemara okay so, um, so um, now, since we mentioned the idea that there's not only mentioning the rain, but there's asking, that you only do near when you actually, is the time of rain. So even, you don't even do that even right after Sukkot. You only start really requesting it when the time is coming, when it, you really, when it really is, 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 is the time you're expecting, you're expecting it to rain. Um, and we'll see what that time is later. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, so this is a little bit strange, the order of the Mishnah, because we're mentioning Mashi Baruch Morida Geshem, then we mention Ein Sholim, the issue about Sholim, Tein Talumatar, and then we go back to finishing up the discussion of Mashi Baruch Morida Geshem. Um, we have a brief mention of Tein Talumatar without expanding it, and now we're going back to Mashi Baruch. Okay? Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Ha'over Lishnei Teva, Biyom Tev Ha'achron Shachad, Ha'achron Matkir, Ha'rishon Eino Matkir. Here's when you do say Mashi Baruch and when you don't. The person who goes before the ark, meaning the Baal Tfilah, the Shliach Tzibor, is the last day of Sukkot, so this means, the last day, and it's Yantav, meaning, it's not Sukkot, it's Shmini Yatzeret. So HaCharon Maskir, the second person, the Baal Musaf, says Mashiv HaRuach, HaRishon, the Baal Shachri, say no Maskir. So you say it at Musaf, you start saying it at Musaf and Shmini Yatzeret. 
Yom Tov Harishon Now it's the first day of Pesach. Harishon Maskir. The Baal Shachris says it. Acharon Eino Maskir. The Baal Musaf stops saying it. Okay, so this is exactly what we do. We say Mashivaruch Mordegeshem from Musaf of Shmini Atzeres through Shachris of Pesach. Now, he, is he really what he's really doing is a subtly different position than Rabbi Yoshua. First of all, you don't know by Rabbi Yoshua when he, you stop saying Mashivaruch. So he clarifies you stop saying it. But Rabbi, uh, on the first day of Pesach, it's also subtly different because Rabbi Yoshua says you start saying it after the last day of, Pes- of Sukkot. So according to Rabbi Yoshua, presumably you say it the night of Shemini Atzeres, or maybe Shachris of Shemini Atzeres, whereas Rabbi Yehuda is creating a much clearer structure. It's from Musaf until the next Musaf. No, you don't start saying it the morning of Shemini Atzeres, you say it's the Musaf of Shemini Atzeres, and that goes all the way up to, but not including, the Musaf of Pesach. And we'll see why in the Gemara. So again, this is the first Mishnah, pretty much all about saying Mashiach Baruch Morita Gershem. Nothing bad has happened yet. This is a normal year. You're just expecting things to happen, God willing, normally. You're not even yet at the point of asking yet, you're just mentioning God's power of Mashiach Baruch Marita Gershem, right? No anxiety has yet come into the picture. And the only question is, when do you start? The only reason for the insertion of Ein Sholim El-Samuch L'Gishamim, the asking of Tain Talamatar, since we're going to expand on that in a later Mishnah, is for the sake of clarifying the debate of Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. Because Rabbi Yoshua sort of says, they, they were discussing, hey, you know, you, you, you don't ask, you know, why are you mentioning it's not the right time? And he's saying, well, there's a difference between mentioning and asking for it. So the mission is sort of like clarifying the asking for it clearly happens later. And Rebio Eliezer is saying, I'm not yet talking about asking for it. That I admit is going to happen later. I'm talking about the mentioning of it. So it's a little bit discordant, that one line. We're going to really expand the idea of Tain Tolomatar, Shoalim, but it was brought here to give a clarification to what these issues are at stake here in terms of the Maskirim. Yes. We do have in this language also a Mishnaic paradigm for different types of prayer. In other words, we call some types of prayers Bakashot. That's right. right. They're using the language of Lahazkir right. to conceptualize the function of prayer as to articulate a consciousness of God. Like okay, so that's a nice idea. I mean, to, for our own consciousness, right. But Shevach is more the classic, and that's exactly right. the difference. That Mashi Baruch Mordegeshim is in the first three, which are seen as Shevach, and Tain Tolamatu Vachar is on the middle Brachot, which are about Shoalim and Bakasha. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It's a very good point. So let's take a look at the Gemara. Yes? Why is the using Geshem in one, in one phrase and I'm not part of the other? So that's a very good point. Um... Um, I have to think about that. I have to get back to you about that. I mean, the Psukim have Geshem, right? The Nasati Gishmechem Bi'itam. Does it have Matar? Um, matar Shemayim? Yeah, let's take Matar Shemayim Bi'itam. So I don't know exactly what the, whether there's a, you know, a different connotation between Matar and Geshem. Um, I mean, it doesn't say matar. I was saying when it says maskir, the maskir is teintal matar livracha. That's what we say in our Shemona Esrei. We say teintal matar. It's not in the Mishnah, but you're right. When we, in the Shemona Esrei, we say geshem, and then when we ask for it, no, it's not in the Mishnah, but when we ask for it, the maskirin is morit ha-geshem. The shalim is teintal matar livracha. 
So you're right. In the Shmonesi, in the Mishnah, it's referred to as Geshem in both places. All right, let's take a look at the Gemara. Okay, Tana Hechakai Diktani Neimatai. What is the frame of reference of the Tana that he's saying? What time do we begin saying? Which means that you assume that you already know you're supposed to say it. How do you know you're supposed to say it? The first, the, the first Gemara in Brachot asks the same question. The Mishnah opens, you know, when, when you say Shema in the evening, and the Gemara says, how do you know you're supposed to say Shema altogether before you can ask when you say it? So it's the same question here. Where you, what's your point of reference that you're already assuming you say it, that you're asking when do you begin saying it? So the Gemara says, Tana Hasam Kai, Diktani, it goes, it's going back to Brachot. In Brachot we say, Maskirin Vurat Geshamim you mentioned the power of the Geshem in the Tchiatamitim, in the second bracha, Mechayemitim. But Shoalim, you, requ- you have the request for it. So there's again that language of, of Maskirin and Shoalim. The Birchat Hashanim, in the bracha of the years, right? Of Barech Hashanah Hazot, right? The Havdalah, B'chonin Hadad. And you mentioned the, and Havdalah when it's Motzei Shabbos or Motzei Yantav in, you know, in the fourth bracha of Chonin Hadad. So it mentions the different types of insertions you make in Shemona Es. Right? That's a mission there in Brachot. The Ketani, so since we mentioned way back in Brachot, that you'll add, you'll add various things in the Shemona Esrei around the rain, so this Mishnah is coming to clarify that Mishnah. So therefore, this Mishnah is coming to clarify it. So the Gemara says, if that's true, it's coming to clarify a Mishnah way back in Brachot, the listening also. So talk about it over there when you're supposed to make those insertions. Why are you waiting until now? Ella, rather, he's departing from the Masechet of Rosh Hashanah like we just did. He just finished learning Rosh Hashanah, which is the Masechet that comes before this. And what did we teach in Rosh Hashanah? That in Sukkot is the time that we're judged for water. So, if we're judged for water, you have to discuss how you respond to that fact that it's a day, that it's a judgment, and that we want the, and we want, you know, we, we, we want to pray for that it should be good rains for the coming year. So, I did Dani Bachad, and you don't know So, if it's a little, if, once we talk that, so we're going to start talking about mentioning Mashi Baruch Murdegeshem as a way of responding to this fact that it is the time of rain and the time of din about, about rain. So the Gemara says, no, one minute, if that's true, I'm sorry. Why does it say Gvurot Gishamim? Just say, when do you start mentioning rain? What's the use of the word Gvurot? My Gvurot. What does it mean by the powers of rain? So, Amr of Yochanan, Nei, Shiyordin, Bidvurah. Because they come down through God's might. Shinemar, how do we see this? So now we're going to have a whole string of psukim to get us to the idea that the idea of gvura is connected to the idea of rain. Shinemar, the verse says, God does wonders without understanding, you know, beyond comprehension. And wondrous things without number. God gives the rain on the face of the earth and sends water towards the fields. My mashma, so where do you get from that the idea that rain is associated with gura? So So there you have that God's greatnesses are, defi- are described as beyond comprehension. And in somewhere the same context, although if you look at the side, it's four prokim earlier, but okay, somewhere in the same context, we have a mention of rain. So somehow rain there is connected with the idea of being beyond comprehension. All right. Um, so let's keep on going. Um, 
Fixiv Hasam, now that we have this word Ein Chaker, it says over there in Yeshayahu, Halo Yadatim Lo Shamata, Elohei Olam Hashem, God is the, you know, God of the world, Borei Ketzota Aretz creates the extremities of the land, Lo Yav Lo Yigad does not be, is not weary, does not tire, Ein Chaker Litvunato. There is no understanding, it's beyond comprehension, God's wisdom, God's understanding. Fixiv, and it says, So, Makin Harim Bekocho Ne'ezar Bigvura. So that pasuk in Yeshayahu is about Briat Olam, Borei Kitzota Aret. So the act of Briat Olam is connected with the idea of beyond comprehension. And another pasuk in Tilim, which talks about Briat Olam, says, Makin Harim Bekochon Ezar Bigura. God smites the mountains with his strength, he girds himself with Givura. So it's a very ringing of psukim. We have psukim in Yeshayahu that talks about Briat Olam, which is beyond comprehension, Ein Cheker. We have a psukim in Tehilim that in the context of Briat Olam is associated with an idea of Gvura, of God's power. So now we have Briat Olam associated with God's power. Then we have the psukim in Eov that talk about the rain and connect the rain with beyond comprehension, so we import the idea of God's Gvura to now apply to regular about the rain. Very convoluted to get this idea of rain going on here. But what are we doing here? Now, Tosos, by the way, says there's a lot of other verbs that are used here. Koach, you know, um, um, what are the other here? Kocho, uh, Anyway, so if you take a look, Tosos basically says the real reason we're focusing on this word givura, if you take a look at Tosos, uh, so he goes on, he says, there's a lot of other things. Um, the line starts the word lahakshot, about 800 foot lines get wide. Am I not so he says, he says, Inami, the last two lines of this Tosvos, Mishum Dehabracha Matcheles Bigvura, Bahachi Nakadvura, which is really the reason that everybody says, which is that it's Gurat Kishamin because it is, how does the Bracha begin? Where well, we mention it in. Ata Gibor, Leolam Hashem. So it's mentioned in the Bracha of Givurot. We also call it the Bracha of Kiyatamiti, but it's the Bracha of Givurot. So we are calling this Givurot Kishamin. So all the Gemara is saying is that's an appropriate term to use by Gishamim, the concept of Givura, but it occurs in the Bracha of Givura, which is really why it is called that. Now, I want to say some things about the Gemaras we just read. First of all, the question of, are we responding to the Mishnah and Brachot, which says, when do you make insertions in Shimon Esri? Are we responding to the Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah that says, um, that says uh, it's, a, it's a time of Yom Hadin? Now, first of all, just an interesting sort of um, um, bibliographical point, Rashi and Tosa say, well, we'd rather be referring to Rosh Hashanah, which is in the same Seder, Seder Moed, as opposed to Brachos, which is in Seder Zra'im. They don't say the more obvious thing, which is, as we know by having done the Dafyomi, that Rosh Hashanah came right before this Mesechet. Mm-hmm. So it's not just it's in the same Seder, it's like immediately preceded this Mesechet, you know? And often the Gemara says, well, this is coming because of the immediately preceding Mesechet. So I don't, haven't done any research on this, I don't know the scholarship on it, but I do wonder if our, like, organization that we have, like Rosh Hashanah, which has been reorganized in order to make it chronological, right, for Sefer Shana, then if that was already the organization that was in the time of the Rishonim. Because if they had the organization of the original organization of the Mishnah, like we know by having done the Dafyomi, Rashi and Tosus would have said, well, of course you want to refer back to Rosh Hashanah, it was the immediately previous Masechet, not just it's the same say there. So that's just a, bi- uh, you know, a bibliographical point. But back to this issue of what's our frame of reference, you know, in a way, this raises this question about, in to be seen as the debate of Rabbi Oliezer and Rabbi Yoshua, right? So Rabbi Yoshua says 
you don't start mentioning Masif HaRuach until you want the rain. So for Rabbi Yehoshua, Masif HaRuach is a prelude to asking about it. But it's all about getting around to asking for it. So maybe you stay Masif HaRuach a little bit earlier, you stay the Shemini Atzeret, you don't start asking for it until, you know, Marcheshvan or December, you know, 4th or 5th if you're, if you're in Chutzlaret. But the way you build up to asking for it is first you start praising God, Masif HaRuach and then we're going to get around to asking for it. But it's all a prelude to asking. That's what Rabbi Yoshua says. Right? So you don't start it unless you're ready for it. Whereas Rabbi Eliezer says, no, maybe it's not related yet to asking, you know, or maybe if it is a prelude, it can come before you're ready to ask, but maybe it's not even related to asking. Maybe it's, you know, if it's the time when rain starts coming, so maybe you start mentioning this as the relevant thing of this time, is to acknowledge God as the power of bringing the rain, and it's not necessarily in the context of, uh, of a request. So in a way, that relates to the question of are you anchored in Brachot or are you anchored in Rosh Hashanah? In Brachot, when it says, for example, that you say Havdalah B'chonin Hadas, when you say Havdalah, are you asking for anything? You're not asking for anything. You're making insertions in Shimon Esrei as is appropriate for the day or for the time of the year. So the appropriate insertion in the, in the rainy season is Mashiach It doesn't have anything to do with the request. It's the thing we're supposed to be mentioning during this time. That's like, that's one way of thinking about it. Maybe that's Rabbi Eliezer who says you can start saying it already at the beginning of Sukkot. Whereas if your sense is the reason we're talking about rain is because we're Nidon in Alamayim and that gets us to the whole point of Ta'anit and we want to make sure that we get the rain and it's a big concern, then, then the whole mention of Mashiach Baruch is a build up to that. Well, that's in the context of Rosh Hashanah, of Nidonim Alamayim. And that maybe is Rabbi Yehoshua's point. Don't start mentioning the rain unless you're ready to have it. Because the whole point of mentioning it is a lead-in to the asking of it. Okay, so that's a way, I think, a way of seeing that the debate of Rabbi Yehoshua and Yehoshua in terms of this initial question of what's our frame of reference. Yes, I, I have a very small question about Tosafos. Yes. Are you suggesting that when Tosafos um, uh, um, introduces the comment with Inami, Yes. That I should read that as their primary um, bottom line position? No, for Tosos, Inami is an equivalent. But I'm just saying that almost everybody assumes that that second answer is the obvious answer, you know, and, and the real, the better answer. Right, right. I wasn't saying it's obvious. Right. 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 Now, I want to say another thing about this issue about Givurot, and this is an important thing to think about about Mashiach and Geshem in general. So, a, the idea of Gvura and the linking to Ma'aseb Reishit also here is a, an important question, right? By linking this to the idea of Gvura and Ma'aseb Reishit, it also takes it out of the framework of like, oh, please, we need the rain and it's a lead into Bakasha. It's part of, you know, just appreciating the wonders of creation and God's power in creating the world. And when we sort of see the rain, it just evokes for us against God's power in nature. And it's the part, like it's a, a religious response that's not in the context of, you know, of the fact that we need this thing to happen and that it's a lead into the request. Again, it's a type of a more brachos orientation and a more general shavach and not just a 
lead into the taint halumatar, or lead into the bakasha. So although it was very convoluted how the Gemara here got gevura associated with rain, but again, I think by framing it in the context of Briyat HaOlam, it is important in terms of, frame, of, of, of creating a frame of reference. One other thing I do want to say about this is, um, and this is worth mentioning, I think uh, this is a point I read in Ruben Kimmelman, it's his argument, so if you don't like it, don't blame me, but you know, um, the, it's quite fascinating, well, you know what, I'm going to hold off on the point until we read the next line, because it ties in more to the next line we're going to see, yes. Uh, Steinsalt says no, uh, that Mary had a different uh, order of the tractates, but he doesn't say what it was. Okay, thank you. So now let's take a look at the Gemara, it says like this, um, okay, no, um, how do you know you're supposed to say in prayer that it, it, it belongs in prayer so now you could have said I saw somebody who commented well why don't we say like it says by Shlomo if there's no rain they'll pray to you but the point here is no that's if there's like a tragedy or an impending tragedy there's no rain how do you know you say it just on an ongoing basis even when everything is going the right way that you're supposed to mention God's power in bringing the rain that's what okay that's the Haskir the Tanya we taught in the Brita so somebody mentioned this right the connection of uh, mitzvot to rain is the avoda she believe which is the avoda in the heart so in your heart it's prayer that's an important idea about prayer that it's that's described as avoda she believe service of the heart but that's not something I'm going to unpack fully now but is prayer I will give the rain in its time the early rain and the late rain so you see the idea of God giving the rain is connected to serving God in prayer and therefore we should be mentioning it in prayer. Now, this, I think, by the way, again, also noting the idea uh, that it's not just when bad things happen and calling out to God because it's a tragedy, is, again, extremely important in terms of appreciating like the religious mindset that I think Chazal were aiming at and was, I think, more true, you know, um, in the time when they were so dependent on the vicissitudes of nature. You know, somebody once said the reason that it's so hard to, in high school for the kids to get into davening is because you're asking them to pray for things they don't need in a language they don't understand to a God they don't believe in. So, anyway, so, the point is, you know, if you are living in that cultural society, you are, I don't know, but it's quite possible, depending on maybe how successful you are and where it is that you're living, but it's quite possible that sense of precariousness um, about your general, you know, situation in life and your sense of dependency. You know, we might feel precarious now, but it's like, where am I going to get a job? I might get fired. And it doesn't sort of point us to God necessarily. But if your precariousness has to do with the natural events and rain, and think about it, rain comes from above, right? And comes down from above and it gives life you know, that sense of dependency on God for our life and our sustenance is much more, hopefully, in the forefront. And therefore, the idea that not just when bad things are happening, but to serve God with your whole heart means that acknowledgement of you do mitzvot v'nasati gishmechem. So the way almost you reflect it, you know, the serving of God with your heart is a constant acknowledgement about God is the one who is providing rain, our dependency on rain, our dependency on God. This is tied into our living a life of mitzvot and doing the right things, right? That's like a profound religious mindset. 
right? You're constantly conscious about how your life of, of following God and doing the mitzvot, you know, is, you know, makes, you know, determines whether you'll be, God will be providing for you and you'll be getting rain and is part of, you know, and, 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 and so it, it, it's something that sort of really, I think, is very, very powerful. It's not just a tiny point like, oh, it says rain and it says tefillah, so we should mention rain in tefillah. I think, you know, again, the fact that rain is dependent on mitzvot, and that's the number one, like, you know, the basic response to meet vote that the Torah says is rain. Right? If you do the mitzvot, you get rain. If you don't, you don't. So that's like, that's like, shows how much this is the very essence of yours, of, of life, is having the rain. And the, so, if you really believe that, right, so that's very powerful. Then everything you do matters and is going to determine whether you will be provided for or not and whether there will be rain or not. And therefore, that's reflected in your religious mindset of your tefillah and your prayers of B'chol are reflecting that type of an ongoing mindset. So I think that, again, that's very powerful in terms of thinking about the religious mindset that is at work here. And it's not just a, like a hint. Oh, you mentioned it in rain. You mentioned it in davening. That this, like, again, reflects this, pervasive, this, this very thoroughgoing religious mindset. Okay, yes? Yeah, it's not here. I mean, it's only here. It comes up in many places. Oh. But like in, in, in Midrash Tanaim, I think in the Sifre and so on, it's, you know, it's an earlier Tanaitic source. But this is definitely one of the mentions of it. Yes. And the other question is, with rain in, in, in certain locations, like in Eretz Israel, rain is coming from above. Right. But in other locations, Egypt or maybe Babylon, where the water is coming through the... Right. Uh, rivers right. flooding. Right. So is there a difference? Uh, so I think there is. And I think, you know, like the Psukim say, like when it says that Eretz Yisrael is right, this is dependent yeah. on rain. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it's dependent on rain, like, shifts profoundly. If you have a predictable Nile that floods, then it's not the same degree of this precariousness and dependence on God. If you don't know whether it'll be raining, and again, the just geographically, you know, just sort of physically, the rain is coming, the light source is coming from above, it creates a very profound, different religious mindset. Right. I, I think that's absolutely true. So the contra- contrast to Mitzrayim, and the contrast that therefore God is looking at Israel and determining whether it's, you know, whether it's going to rain, and that there's involvement of God, and if you do the Mitzvot, you'll get rain and if not, not. I mean, right. That's like the theology that runs... Right. And they desperately needed it. Right. If there was a draw there, if the flooding didn't come, that's true. But that is true. Right. But it's not... I don't think it leads to as much of the same type of religious mindset that the Gemara is talking about. Right. You know, like I said, you might get fired from your job, but that doesn't mean that you're thinking about it in terms of God. Right? So there are bad things that can happen, but are you orienting towards God or not? So yes. So again, it's, all of this is very clear and very much of the religious theology, right? It's all going to be determined by your mitzvot. It's all about God and God's connection to the land and therefore the idea that it's central to things to be mentioned in prayer, right, on an ongoing basis, you know, at least during the time when it's relevant, you know, is therefore, and again, this is not just about praying for, for it in terms of like, because it might not happen. It's about that ongoing religious mind Okay, so now we have two things mentioned about the rain. Number one, the relationship to Briata Olam and Gvura, and number two, this aspect about the ongoing sense of mitzvot and their connection to rain and your religious connection sort of to God. So now the Gemara continues. 
Um, okay. I'm Reb Yochanan. Says Reb Yochanan. Gimel Maftechot Shel HaKadosh Baruch And this, I think, heightens this point. By the way, it's interesting to note that you got a lot of Reb Yochanan in the first parak and a lot of Tana'in, a lot of Amoraim from Eretz Yisrael, much more than Amoraim from Bavel. Um, and again, this might have something to do with the reality of the need for rain and so on. So that's just worth noticing. Okay, so God said there are three keys, uh, Rabbi Yochanan said there are three keys given in the hands of God. Shalonim Shrubi that God doesn't give over to any person. God directly controls them. The Eluhain, these are they. Mafteach Shel Gishamim, the key of rain. Umafteach Shel Chaya, the key of childbirth. And the key of uh, resurrection. God should open up for you his warehouse, the heavens, to give the rain, you know, to give the rain in the right time. God heard her, and opened up her womb. The verse says, You'll know that I'm God when I open up your grave. Now, one thing to notice here, two things to notice. Number one is in all three of these things, it says the verb, so, mafteach, the key, exactly is the word in the verse of, of ticha, of open. Number two is, um, I think the Marashah asks, why didn't they quote the Pasuk by Leah, where it says God opened up her womb, which occurs earlier than Rachel. And he said they wanted a Pasuk where the God's name was immediately juxtaposed to the word Vayiftach. And in all these three things, it says, Vayishma Eleha Elohim Vayiftach. Right? Ani Hashem Bipitchi. In all three of them, not only is it the idea that God is, opens it up, but it's immediately juxtaposed. And that's the idea. God directly controls this. There's nothing between God and the opening up. So the puzzle by Leah wasn't immediately juxtaposed. And they want to emphasize this is all God's control. So again, the point here being, I think, a couplefold. Number one is that this is, um, you know, directly about God's involvement in the earth. Like, if you think about a shaliach, an intermediary, yeah, you know, there are reasons it doesn't rain, there's, you know, natural, meteorological, you know, reasons, other explanations, to some degree, God is involved, but, you know, that's not the immediate cause. The Gemara doesn't want you thinking like that. Right? The Gemara wants you thinking that these are things, like, like the positive that was quoted earlier, that God is directly involved in. And therefore, your sort of prayer to God or your relationship to God and you know is direct it has a direct impact like you you know you should interpret this directly as something coming from God or the absence as directly a problem between you and God and that also relates to then how you respond to God when these things are, you know when it's going good and also when it's going bad so basically the message is is that this is the central way that God sort of, you know, or a central way that God is relating to us on this earth and that therefore that we connect to God. The presence of it, the absence of it, God is directly involved. That's point number one. Obviously the rain point, but then the other two points are, you know, the point of life, right? God brings life into existence, childbirth, and the resurrection. And that obviously evokes the idea that rain is central to our life. Right? Rain, we need water and we need sustenance and the crops and so on. And to be seeing all three of these things as, again, God is directly involved because all of these are directly about, God, about sustaining our life or creating, or, or, or creating new life or bringing new life or, or re- resurrecting. And that just ties into the third point of the Gemara. Let's take a look. The final point, which is, 
Bemarava Amri in Eretz Yisrael they say which is funny because Rabbi Yochanan is from Eretz Yisrael Amri even the general like livelihood not related to rain okay although there it doesn't have God's name juxtaposed with Peticha Rabbi Yochanan my time why isn't he including that it's essentially the same I mean if you know if you're in an agricultural society what represents your Parnassah is Gishamim but of course by abstracting it to Parnassah you lose some of the punch Right, because by abstracting it to Parnassah, it's more abstract. God's involved in our livelihood. Rain, you know, is again, you know, it says, Ki kasher yetzei, you know, what is it? Ki kasher yereid ageshem mina shamayim, you know, v'shama yashuv, you know, the same way, the rain comes from heaven, my word comes down. You know, the Im- again, the imagery of the rain, the, the water is life, and, you know, is much more concrete and immediate and felt, and therefore, it doesn't always help to abstract it. You know, there's a power to be thinking about this as God is direct involved here. Now I want to say another thing which is there's another place where we link Gishamim to Tchiyat which is where? Where else do we link other than the Psukim here that they're in the hands of God? Well, we say it in Shimon Esrei, yeah. right? The whole bracha, Atagi Borli Olam Hashem, right? Nechayemi Timata Rav Loshia, Mashiva Ruach Umarida Geshem. Nechakel Chayiv Chesed, Nechayemi Sim Brachamim Abim, right? So anyway, it's all linked together. Now, now this is the point I wanted to say that that Ruben Kimmelman says. I mean, the normal way of thinking about it is it's a bracha of Tchiyat Hametim. Um, but we somehow abstracted a little bit to be about gevura, and therefore, you know, uh, rain also fits there because it's uh, because you know it's it's about life, and like we said, like this, you know, like this midrash sort of indicates, you know, it's it's similar. It's about giving life, so we'll throw it there as well. Um, but basically, it's a bracha of chiyatam Um You know what Ruben Timmelman said in an article I read is he suggests. I'm trying to remember if I'm accurately remembering this, but I think he suggests something along those lines, but like with a he says that by inserting the idea of Gishamim into that bracha, what we're actually doing is trying to make the idea of Tchiyatametim more persuasive. Because if you recognize God's power as bringing down the water, and what, what, what is it like? Like the world looks dead, things are buried in the ground, water comes down, and things that were buried in the ground now sprout to life. So you see in your own day-to-day existence how the rain that comes from God brings about a type of a chiyat hametim, and therefore, right, and therefore, that then makes the whole idea of chiyat hametim something that you can really, you know, believe in and relate to, and concretizes it. So he actually sort of sees this as part of making chiyat hametim more persuasive, not, you know, that's why it's sort of being placed here, to concretize that idea, and again, I think that that's powerful in the way Rabbi Yochanan is also bringing these ideas together. Yes. You said that's all Farrakh Beth or Sheep. All of creation sprouts from the ground, right. with human beings, right. water. Right, right, excellent, excellent. Yeah. Uh, there seem to be, have been some Nabians who were given keys. Supposedly, that's that question. I'm not going to get into okay. unpacking that. But the other thing I did want to say about that, though, was, was that. Yes, these are directly in the hands of God, the keys, but how do we get God to use the keys? It's because, as I, as again, I was reading somebody last night who discussed this, he says, the Mastech is the hand of God, but the Mastech to the Mastech is in the hands of humans, <laughs> right? So Rachel cries out, and therefore God opens, right? You, you observe the mitzvot, and therefore God brings the rain. 
So, in the end, it's in the hands of God, but that's ultimately in our hands is to, and that again gets to the idea that this is all about our direct relationship with God. Okay? So now, the Gemara continues. Rabbi Eliezer, so you start saying it on the first day of Sukkot, and Rabbi Yoshua says, only after the last day. Rabbi Eliezer, where does Rabbi Eliezer get the idea that you start saying it on the first day? From Lulav, which is connected to water, as we'll see. Or from the pouring of water, that you also did on Sukkot. So, so what's the difference? If he learns out the idea that Sukkot is the time of rain from Lulav, so the same way Lulav starts the day of the first day of Sukkot, you start saying it's according to him, on the first day, but not the night before. Or maybe he learns it out from Nisukhamayim. But Nisukhamayim could, in theory, although we do Nisukhamayim in the morning, he could, in theory, begin the night before. The Amar Mar we teach the Mincha that when you bring the Mincha Nesachim of a korban, you can do it at night. Now that's not exactly relevant, because that's you bring the korban at day and you can finish it up with the Mincha and the Nesachim at night. But since Nisuach pouring libations can be done at night. So therefore, in theory, Tosa says, it's again not agreed that this is what the Gemara means, but Tosa says it means that in theory we could begin the Nisuch HaMayim at night as well. Rashi doesn't like that conclusion. Rashi just says the process begins at night. You know, we do the whole Simchos Teisa Shoeva at night. Okay, but anyway, if it's Nisuch HaMayim, it more already begins the night before. And therefore, Avaz Karmayort, if that's your source, then we should start saying Mashi Faruach, according to him, the night of the first night of Sukkot. So Tashma, which so come in here. The Amar Rebbe Avo, Rebbe Avo says, "Lolamda Rebbe Eliezer elam milulav." Rebbe Eliezer learned it from Lulav, so he would only have you start saying it the first day of Sukkot. Igadami, some say Rebbe Avo Gemara Gamirla that he had that as a tradition that that was Rebbe Eliezer's source. The Igadami, some say Masnisa He actually had a brayta that indicated this. Mahi, what's the brayta? Detanya, we taught in the brayta. When do you mention the rain? Rabbi Eliezer Omer Mishas Nitilat Lulav. So he's very explicit from the time you begin taking the Lulav. Rabbi Yeshua Omer Mishat Hanachatel. Only after you place it down. Only after you're done with the Lulav. Uh, only starting on Shmini Yatzeret. I'm Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer said, Arba Look, the whole idea of the lulav is that they're coming as a type of a prayer for the rain. I mean, these are things that grow on the water, you know, and we shake it, and all of the, we assume that the idea, I mean, you could ask what is the point of the lulav, but it's reasonable to assume, and he assumes that it's a type of a prayer for rain. So, the same way that they need water, and they, where they represent the fact that, you know, how things depend on water, the world can't exist without water. I mean, that's the, what's implicit in our taking of the lulav. We're saying to God, look, God, these are living things. They depend on water. You know, we depend on water. Please make sure that we have water this coming year. So he says, if you start taking lulav, you should start saying, Well, you're talking about it. If it rains on Sukkot, that's a bad thing. So, I'm a little rebellious. I agree you don't want it right now. But, so you don't ask for it, but you begin mentioning it. You want to sort of start the process. And the same way you mentioned which is what the whole sense of, what the whole focus of that bracha is the whole year. But that will come in its right time. So, um, you mentioned it the whole year. 
and you only want them at the right time. Now, he said, what do you mean the whole year? I thought you said starting on the first day of Sukkot. So now he's going to tell you. He said, um... Um, and therefore I would say yeah you want to say the whole year it's part of recognizing God's power and it's appropriate for even if it's not the time now Tosos points out that there's a difference he says if you want to say it the whole year you may but you are obligated to start saying it on the first day of Sukkot when, that, when it is beginning to be the rainy season so he's saying look I agree you don't start asking for it yet because, you, you know, but because asking for it is only when you're really ready for it to come. But because it's now the rainy season, you start mentioning. And mentioning is not the same as asking because you could really mention it the whole year if you wanted to. So, if, so that, the fact that you could do it the whole year makes it clear that it's not the same as asking. That it's just it's start praising God and God's power and acknowledging God's power. And that's what it is. But, so therefore you can do it the whole year, but you're obligated to do it when it's the appropriate time, when it's the rainy season. But even when you do it, it doesn't mean that you're asking for it yet. It means that you're mentioning it because it's the time of rain. The asking for it will come later. That's Rabbi Eliezer's position. Let's just see what Rabbi Yeshua says back. So he says, um... Okay, Rebbe Omer, oh, so we don't have Rebbe Yosher, so now we have Rebbe, and Rebbe says a variation or a, or a defense of Rebbe Yehoshua. Rebbe Omer, Rebbe says, Omer Ani, I say, Mishat Shemasik L'She'elah, when you stop asking, Tentel Matar, you don't, you don't say Tentel Matar after the first day of Pesach, Tach Masik L'Hazkarah, you have to stop saying Mashi Baruch Merdegeshem. So what Rebbe is saying is, I don't agree with what you said, Rebbe Eliezer, you're not allowed to say Mashi Baruch Merdegeshem during the rest of the year. And therefore, you're not allowed to say it at the beginning of Sukkot if it's not the time. I do not believe that you can have this as a general Shevach. It's very much tied in to Bakasha. So again, I think that this is, like we said when we began it, this is, I think, the debate. Rabbi Eliezer says, I am prepared to see this as a general Shevach. A general Shevach, in theory, you could say the whole year. You have to say it when it's the season, but in theory, you could say it the whole year. But it's not an implicit tie-in to asking for it. Even when you say it on Sukkot. Whereas Rebbe and Rebbe Yoshua are saying, no, this is all tied into Tain Talamatar. You stop saying it when you stop saying Tain Talamatar. So when you begin saying it, it's a lead into Tain Talamatar. And therefore, you don't start saying it when it's not yet, the, when you're not yet ready for it. Okay. So, and now we have Rebbe Yehuda ben Becerra Omer. I'm sorry, where are we? Oh yeah, okay. Rabbi Yudah ben Becerra Omer, B'Sheni B'Chag Humaskir, agrees to Rabbi Eliezer's idea that it's tied in, to, it's in, in the middle of Sukkot, not at the end, but he says it's only on the second day of Sukkot. And we'll see, because he believes that the Nisuch HaMayim, it's tied to the Nisuch HaMayim, and the Nisuch HaMayim, according to him, only began on the second day of Sukkot. Um, Rabbi Akiva Omer, B'Sheni B'Chag Humaskir, because Rabbi Akiva also says it's tied into the Nisuch HaMayim, but for him, that began on the sixth of Sukkot. Okay, Rabbi Yehuda Mishum Rabbi Yehoshua Omer, Rabbi Yehuda in the name of Rabbi Yehoshua says, and this is Rabbi Yehuda in our Mishnah, Ha'over lifnei ha'teva b'yom tevachon and shachag, that on the last day of Sukkot, meaning on Shemini Yatzeret, ha'achon mazkir, the Baal Musaf says it, ha'rishon e'no mazkir, the Baal Shachis does not say it. B'yom tevachon shachag, the first day of Sukkot, of Pesach, ha'rishon mazkir, ha'acharon e'no mazkir, it's the reverse. The first guy says it, the Baal Shachis, the Baal Musaf already does not say it. 
Okay, so that's all the whole range of positions. Let's just read a little bit more in the Gemara. So, Shaper Kamele Rebbe Eliezer the Rebbe Yoshua. So, Rebbe Eliezer's response to Rebbe Yoshua was a good one. So, if Tchiyas HaMesim means when it's the right time, so why can't Mashi Baruch HaMoyedagesha mean when it's the right time? So, Amalech Rebbe Yoshua, Rebbe Yoshua will say back to you, no. You know, we'd, be, we'd love to have Chiyas HaMesim any day. So it might not come until it's the right time, but any day we're ready for it. But rain, do you think any time it rains would be a good thing? That's not. We teach later, once Nisan is out, and it rains, it's bad to have rain in the wrong time. So, and the puzzle sort of indicates that it's not the time for rain. So therefore, it's an obvious difference. We want it any time. Rain, even if you're mentioning God's Gvura, you actually don't want it certain times, and therefore you should not be mentioning it. Okay? So there is this debate, but again, I think it's linked, rankled in the issue of whether you think Mashi Baruch HaMoritagesheh is fundamentally Shavach, or is it ultimately just a tie-in and a lead-in to Tainto Matali Bracha. So tomorrow we'll unpack the issue about second day or sixth day, but I want to say one other final point before we end, which is the idea, and I'll get back, I'll say this again, but the idea of going from Pesach through Sukkot without saying it. You know, I was reading again an article last night by this person, Rabbi Dov Berkowitz, not, I think it's not the same as Rabbi Eliezer, Berkowitz, uh, Rabbi Eliezer, who was Nister, uh, a good number of years ago. Anyway, um, Rabbi Dov Berkowitz, who points out, like, the interesting thing, again, in terms of, like, the religious mindset, he says, think about it. All the times we have Yom Tovim, we don't have Mashi Baruch Hu We only have Mashi Baruch Hu during, like, the dead time of the year, the time when there's no Yom Tovim, right? You're like, I mean, okay, you get it at the very end, you know, you, you get it at the, like, yeah. very last day, of Shemitah, very end of Shemitah, very beginning, but ultimately it's during the time when there's no Yom Tovim. And he sort of says, look, he says, during the period of the Yom Tovim, from Nisan through Sukkot, that's the time when you are out and working in the fields. You're harvesting, you know, you're plowing, you're planting, or whatever. That's when you're doing all of your human activity. Um, and therefore, and the, one of the themes of the Chagin is to direct that human activity and that sort of bringing the, the, the stuff in and direct it to God, right? So to acknowledge, you know, that, the, the, you know, that the, you know, Pesach is the time of, of barley and Shavuot is the time of wheat and the time of Bikurim and you bring the Bikurim and you say, God gave me these things and Sukkot, you bring in all the harvest and Smach, Delish, So to take all of that human endeavor and to put it in a religious context and sort of like to acknowledge God and that's all achieved by the Chagin. It says, in the period from Sukkot to Pesach, there's very little human endeavor. You basically have done the planting and now you're just waiting for the rain, right? So it's basically, it's not like, oh, I'm going to think it's all my doing. It's actually a time period of the year where you very much are not doing much and are acknowledging it's all dependent on God. So therefore, he says, so that gets filled, that sort of acknowledgement with the Mashi Faruach Humorit HaGeshem, you know, sort of with that acknowledgement, like it's all about prayer and waiting for God to sort of, you know, to, to, to do God's part or calling on God. But that's sort of the religious reality there. Whereas on the other time, it's very much your activity and you have to sort of take that activity and translate it in a way that acknowledges God. So, you know, you bring the Bikurim, you share with your harvest to the Ani, the Geren, the Yatom, you know, you take the Lulav 
So you take that activity and you give to, you know, and you direct it towards God. Whereas here it's much more of a passive period and a period of like just sort of like more silent dependency where it translates in terms of prayer and, you know, waiting for God for the rains to come. So I think that's like a very... What? It's out of our hands. So I think that was really powerful for me to think about like the different, you know, sort of uh, ways of being during the different times of the years and the different type of like religious response that's appropriate. Okay, so to be continued tomorrow.